Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We are picking up in the dramatic narrative here. We know that Assyria has told Judah we're about to invade. They've sent this emissary who has come and has sent everybody in the king's court just shaking. They're wearing sackcloth, which indicates they believe they're about to get utterly annihilated. And so Joah and Shebna and Eliakim have come in and they fully believe all the threats that came from this emissary representing the king of Assyria. Now let's go into the king's inner courtroom and let's see how it's how it's received. When King Hezekiah heard their report, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went to the Lord's temple. All right, so when you get that threat, you get that bad news, bad news is coming, all right, dangers on the horizon. He should not have necessarily been overly distraught because God's been telling him over and over again what he's going to do to Assyria and what he, how he's going to preserve Judah. But it is good that he at least went to the temple of the Lord. He is going to consult with Isaiah here. He sent Eliakim, who was in charge of the palace, Shebna, the court secretary, and the leading priests who were covered with sackcloth. Everybody's wearing sackcloth, not because it's trendy, but because they're all terrified. And the prophet, uh, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, that's our earthly author writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They said to him, this is what Hezekiah says, today is a day of distress, rebuke, and disgrace. It is as if children have come to the point of birth and there's no strength to deliver them. It's a gut-wrenching scenario that he points to. He's just likened this day to the day that his wife and child both die at the same time because they didn't have the means to deliver a child who was perhaps breech, right? And so in, 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 this, in this era, historically, if that was the case, then both your wife and your, and your baby were going to die. And so he's used the most dramatic, the most dramatic word picture that he can. It's a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. It's as if children have come to the point of birth, but there's no strength to deliver them. Here's verse four. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear all the words of the royal spokesman, whom his master, the king of Assyria, sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke him for the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, offer a prayer for the surviving remnant. Uh, so King Hezekiah's request indicates a mixed bag in his own faith in the Lord. He's good to go to Isaiah. He was wrong to despair. He had been given ample prophecies that this is what's going to happen. Assyria is going down and Judah is going to be spared. Jerusalem is going to be spared, particularly Jerusalem's going to make it. We know this via the historical record. Jerusalem remained untouched, even as the conquests around Judah are well chronicled in the Assyrian historical record. But Hezekiah's reaction also seems to indicate uh, that he hasn't been paying attention to, to, to those prophecies. And, and moreover, he's almost kind of appealing to the vanity or what he, I guess, would think of as a thin-skinned, fragile ego of God. Uh, but he's also, he's, he's also does give us reason to hope. He says, therefore, offer a prayer for the surviving remnant. And he seems to think here that that means that uh, there's only going to be this sliver of those who survive the onslaught. He has no idea. They're about to be completely delivered. Uh, uh, here's, here's verse 5. So the servants of King Hezekiah went to Isaiah, who said to them, Tell your master, the Lord says this, Don't be afraid because of the words you have heard, which the king of Assyria's attendants have blasphemed me. I'm about to put a spirit in him, and he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, where I will cause him to fall by the sword. So right off the bat, 
we can see uh, the Lord has said, don't be afraid, which means that the sackcloth and the despair and the, like everybody wears sackcloth, everybody freak out. Like that was never the will of God. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's easy to say. It's hard to realize when you feel like you've got good reason to be truly afraid. Don't be afraid because the words you have heard with, uh, with which the king of Assyria's attendants have blasphemed me. All right, now look at, the, look at the tactic that the Lord has said that he's going to use. This is rare within the word of God, but it's not completely unprecedented. We've seen God resort to these measures. It, we see him, rather, I guess a better way to say it is that we've seen God, uh, we've seen God work this way before in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, that there was a spirit that was sent to torment King Saul. We also see in, uh, we, we've also seen in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 2, King Ahab likewise um, was, was tormented by a spirit that does, according to the biblical text, does seem to have been dispatched by God. So that doesn't sit well, right, with some, with some listeners. Like, hang on a second. I thought that God just allowed Satan to do what Satan does. I, I didn't know that God would actually tell a demon to do something. God telling a demon to do something is not much different from what God's already told us in the book of Isaiah about the natural proclivities of nations like Moab. Okay, that uh, Look, the, the, the destroyer is going to destroy, and he's, God's just going to allow him to do that. But the wording here seems to show that like God is the one who would sovereignly dispatch that spirit. Here's how, here's how I interpret it. I use scripture to interpret scripture. If you think about the gospel narratives, you've got this crazy guy. He's inhabited by a legion of demons. They see Jesus. They're terrified of him. And they beg Jesus to send them to the herd of pigs. And then Jesus actually tells them to go. In that moment, Jesus is telling the demons to do what they want to do. They would rather inhabit a herd of pigs and jump off a cliff than be anywhere near Jesus. So they're terrified of our God. They will absolutely do what he says, and they know that, they're, they know that their destruction is coming. So it's not completely beyond the pale biblically to see demons terrified of God do what God tells them to do. And also, let's admit, it's really cool to see God stick it to the bad guy this way. So he's going to send a spirit to torment King Sennacherib. Here's, uh, here's, here's what the biblical text says next. When the royal spokesman heard that the king of Assyria had pulled out of Lashish, he left and found him fighting against Libna. All right, so this means that this spokesman uh, has gone looking for King Sennacherib, but he's not back at Lashish. Now he's gone on to Libna. Why? Well, here's why. It's because God's doing exactly what he said he would do. The king had heard concerning ting, uh, King uh, Terhaka of Cush. He has set out to fight against you. Okay, there it is. That's the rumor. That's the rumor. The Cushites have been players on the world stage here, and we've seen them mentioned before, and we've seen prophecies concerning Cush in the book of Isaiah. But now King Sennacherib of Assyria has been told, hey, uh, the Cushites are after you. King, uh, king Terhaka of Cush is coming to get you. Uh, he set out to fight against you. And so this is going to throw him into a paranoid rage. Uh, so when he heard this, he sent messengers to King Hezekiah. All right, so like now the, the bully has been, the bully has been, you know, kicked back, you know, from his posture of attack. But on his way out, he's trying to also make sure that, that uh, Judah still feels scared, that Jerusalem still feels terrified. All right, now, meanwhile, what he's chasing after is something that terrifies him. Never forget that the fear mongers are more afraid than anyone. 
Say this to the King Hezekiah of Judah, don't let your God on whom you rely deceive you by promising that Jerusalem won't be handed over to the king of Assyria. Look, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries. They completely destroyed them. Will you be rescued? Did the gods of the nations that my predecessors destroyed rescue them? Gozan, Haran, Rezef, and the Edenites in Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvim, Hena, or Eva? So he's, he's showing one more time. He's just naming all of his, all of his greatest hits. And we've, we see now that we've added a couple of more conquered cities onto the list of the reasons why uh, supposedly the people of God should be afraid. But he's actually going where he's going because he's been tormented. Tune in tomorrow at the Redemption Church for our sermon in Isaiah to see what happens next. Or, by all means, to the glory of God, read your own Bible because it's great. It's a really cool story and there are, it's lush with application. I can see a lot of parallels between the people of God in Jerusalem under siege and the people of God in Seattle under duress culturally. We're in different covenants, in different eras, but we serve the same God. And he is just as good. He is just as faithful to his people. So do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'll see you tomorrow at church.